so this morning, as Philip already read, uh, we are going to meditate from the book of Habakkuk. Uh, and over the last two weeks, we have been, uh, you know, you know, uh, studying from the minor prophets. And uh, today is not going to be any different. The only thing is, last two sermons that you heard from Micah and Hosea, you know, they were ministering to the northern kingdom. And today, Habakkuk, when we read, we understand that he's ministering to the southern kingdom. So all the things that we are going to hear is from the life of Judah, people of Judah, and, uh, you know, even uh, to a certain extent, uh, people of Benjamin. Uh, and like I said, you know, today we are going to meditate. And uh, as we continue this series on the whole counsel of God, uh, uh, you know, we are trying to see the redemption plan of God right from Genesis all the way to Exodus, uh, sorry, Revelation. And we are going to see this common theme. And even in today's sermon, we'll see how Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, fit into this entire scheme of the whole counsel of God, right? There was this philosopher, a Greek philosopher named by Epicurus, and uh, he raised a very important question. He said that if there is a Christian God who is all omniscient, all omnipotent, all omnibenevolent, you know, if a God like this exists, then evil should not exist. Interesting question. However, in Epicurus' whole life, he observed that evil is always persisting. There's no end to it. And for him, there was only two possible conclusions. One, either there is no God at all, or the claim of Christians about their God is not true. You know, one of the main questions that he was pretty much raising in his argument was, if God is loving, if such a God exists, who is all loving, all powerful, all knowing, then how can evil exist in this world? To a certain degree, we all struggle with this, don't we? Uh, but when we read book of Habakkuk, we also realize that his world, the world that he's living is not a pretty place. You know, the rich is oppressing the poor. There is, a, you know, the law and order is out of control. There's absolutely no justice that is there at that point in time. As Habakkuk stood in Jerusalem, you know, he's standing and he's seeing the state of the people of Judah. He is actually dumbfounded. He, he doesn't have words because he's seeing evil thriving and it is all happening in open. But for him, even a bigger worry, uh, there's a, uh, there is an issue that is really bogging him. That is, God is remaining silent in this entire process. Normally, when we read the prophets, we hear God speaking through the prophet to the people. Yes, that's what that's what you read any of the prophetical book. That's how it is. God is speaking through the prophet to the people, to his own people, right? But in this book, this is a little different because in this book, when we read book of Habakkuk, we see God and the prophet Habakkuk talking back and forth. You know, Habakkuk has certain questions. He's raising the question to Yahweh. And then Yahweh is patiently answering those questions uh, to Habakkuk. We see a dialogue between Habakkuk and the prophet. Uh, uh, sorry, Habakkuk and Yahweh. We are able to see Habakkuk actually wrestling with God over God's unfathomable ways. When we read this book, we also see at the end Habakkuk bursting out in praise of his sovereign savior. You know, we see him from complaining or questioning God all the way, you know, to sobbing. And now he moves into praising God, 
singing song of trust, singing song of praise. That's interesting. This book is a fascinating exchange that gets us into the heart of God and his purposes. It offers us a picture of prideful people will be humbled one day. That is definitely going to be there. But while the righteous are called to live by faith. Now with this in back of our mind, you know, as we dwell into the text, I just want you to possibly see book of Habakkuk can be divided into three sections. And today, this morning, I have divided all the three chapters as one section, chapter one, uh, chapter two, and chapter three. So let's turn to chapter one, where we see the burden uh, you know, in, in chapter one, the burden of the prophet, right? We come across two questions from Habakkuk in chapter one, and both his questions are very direct and frank. When we also go through troubled times, we have questions, right? And here is prophet Habakkuk. He's seeing his people, the people of Judah, God's own people in corruption, in, in sin, and Habakkuk is coming up with questions and he doesn't, you know, sugarcoat his question. He's direct and frank with Yahweh. Look at his first question. You know, uh, in verses one to four, when we read the first question, we see that his first question is based on his circumstances. You're getting it? His first question is based on his circumstances. I told you he asked two questions, but first question is based on his circumstances. Let, read, uh, let us read verses one to four. This is the message that prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I cry for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. There is no justice in the court. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that the justice has now become perverted. I'm reading from NLT. Look at Habakkuk's question, right? Look at the burden that he has. He's asking, how long? How long, Lord, must I cry for help? How long, Lord, you will not listen to my cry? Habakkuk is clearly troubled with God's silence. He's, tried, he, he's literally tired of, of, of crying. He's literally tired of, of, of silence from God's side. And he's wrestling with God, you know, over God's silence, over Judah's unfaithfulness. But what was Judah actually doing? What was the sin? Actually, in verse 3, if you see, there are three couplets of sin that's mentioned there. And that pretty much set the context of Habakkuk's burden. Look at verse 3 of chapter 1. You know, first thing, first couplet is iniquity and injustice. Second is destruction and violence. Third is strife and contention. You see what the people of Judah were into? Iniquity, injustice, destruction, violence, strife, contention. And Habakkuk is seeing all this and he's saying, God, are you really okay with all this? Are you really okay with evil and injustice flourishing? You know, Habakkuk is asking this question at the time when hopes of justice and righteousness has completely been wiped out. If you look into the history, you know, we know that there was this king called King Josiah. We know he was a good king, right? He returned the country, God's country, to God's instruction. 
you know, for righteous living. When he rediscovered the book of Deuteronomy, if you want to read more about it, you can read Second Kings. You can make a note, Second Kings chapter twenty-two and chapter twenty-three. When you read that, you will find out that he rediscovered the law, the book of Deuteronomy, and then he he returned the country to God's instruction. And this happened in six twenty-two B.C. But Josiah was killed in a war. You know, he went into a battle with Pharaoh Necho and, uh, you know, right from, uh, you know, who was from Egypt. And in 609 BC, he was killed. Then one of his sons reigned for three months. Then King Jehoiakim, his second son, came into power. And he was a corrupt king. He was a vassal to Pharaoh Necho, uh, who was ruling from Egypt. And during this time, Habakkuk is prophesying. But turn with me to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 23, 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 35, 36, and 37. And here we see exactly what's happening. What's the corruption like? It reads, and Jehoiakim gave silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give the money. He taxed his own people on the command of Pharaoh. He extracted silver and gold of the people of the land and from everyone according to the assessment to give it to Pharaoh Nico. How old was Jehoiakim? He was just 25 years old and he ruled for 11 years from Jerusalem. And verse 37, all he did was evil in sight of God according to all that his father had done. Imagine Habakkuk, the prophet, he's standing in Jerusalem and he's seeing this corruption and he's deeply troubled and burdened by the spiritual and social state of people of Judah. Interesting, right? The prophet is burdened for his people. Here's an application, uh, application question for all of us. You know, dear CPF, do we really burden for each other? You know, we are, we are a strength of 250 people in church, right? There's so many people, and I'm sure many of us might be struggling. Some of us might be really struggling with sin. But are we burdened for each other? Do you even burden for the nation that we live in? There are so many people. This pandemic is nothing but a realization. How many people passed away without even knowing the gospel? They are dead. And one day now they are just waiting for the judgment to come. There's no hope for them. So many people are sick and, and, and they have no hope. Do you really burden for them? Do you burden for the church? Do you really burden for the people who do not know the gospel? You know, it's so important for us, dear brothers and sisters, like Habakkuk, have this burden for each other. If we don't have, then we don't have the love of the gospel within us. God calls us to have burden for each other, pray for each other, encourage each other so that we can sharpen each other and, and help each other in a walk, uh, in a spiritual walk. And that's what Habakkuk is doing. He's really burdened to see the state, the spiritual state, the social state of people of Judah. But interestingly, now the Lord is going to answer Habakkuk. And the answer that Habakkuk received is completely unexpected. We'll read from verse 5 to 11. In verses 5 to 11, we see now God is answering Habakkuk and the answer is completely unexpected. Look at verse 5. You know, Lord is giving him three imperatives. This is how Lord is answering Habakkuk. And he says, look, observe and be amazed. You're getting it? 
three things God is telling Habakkuk. Habakkuk, look, observe, and be amazed. In some of the translation, you'll feel, be astounded. I'm going to do something. If Habakkuk is thinking that he's going to get relief from his distress, God is saying, you know, you are going to be astounded. You are going to be amazed because I am going to do something unthinkable. This speaks of the impossibility of assuming that we always know how God will deal with the events that happens in the world. Whenever something happens, there are people assuming a lot of things. Hey, God is doing this, you know. But when we actually think, when we have figured out everything about God's purpose, we come to know that his ways are always higher than our ways. I'm reminded of what Lord said uh, to Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. And this is a very familiar passage, right? We read it and we know this, but it's a very good, important application that we can draw. And the Lord says, for my ways, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration for as high is uh, for as the heavens is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. My dear brothers and sisters in CBF, always remember that God's ways are always far above than we can ever think. The fact, the very fact that they are so incomprehensible should cause us to worship Him rather than living our lives in doubt. You're getting it. His fact, the fact, the very fact, the, the things that we experience in our life and sometimes when we are not able to comprehend what God is doing should in fact cause us to worship him rather than living our lives in doubt. And that's important application that we can draw from what the Lord is telling Habakkuk. Look, observe, be amazed because I'm going to do something unthinkable. But what is this unthinkable God is going to do? Let's read from verse 6 onwards of chapter 1. Verse 6 onwards. And God says, I am raising up Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer the lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and they do whatever they feel like. On they come all bent on violence. They hoard advance like a desert wind, sweeping the captives ahead of them like sand. Verse, nine, uh, verse 11, they sweat past like the wind and are gone. But, listen to this, but they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. You remember what I said? Habakkuk is questioning God. His first question is based on the circumstances around him. And, and he's, he's putting a question to God. Now God is responding to Habakkuk and he's telling, hey Habakkuk, don't assume anything about me based on your circumstances. Don't think I'm silent. Don't think I've abandoned anyone. Don't think I have quit working and I've quit caring. No. On the contrary, I am working. I'm doing something so big, so drastic that you will be amazed. Look, observe and be astounded or be amazed. What God is doing? He's raising up Babylonians. Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar were known to sweep nations like hurricane and they will leave behind heap of death and devastation. Babylonians, like we read, they trusted themselves, they trusted their army, they, they idolized their own strength. 
but they did not acknowledge God's sovereignty, even though God allowed the Babylonian to grow into this giant empire. You know, one of the greatest powers, you know, uh, the empire of Babylon, and as you, as you read through the history, they were brutal, they were barbaric. However, interestingly, when we read Book of Habakkuk, the next few uh, verses, we'll see they were only a tool in the hands of God. They were only a tool in the hands of God. Such a great nation, only a tool in the hands of God. How? God chose them as a tool to discipline his covenant-breaking people. People of Judah. God chose Babylon, a wicked nation, to discipline his covenant-breaking people, the people of Judah. You know, here's an application. We all say our God is sovereign, right? We all say so easily that, yes, he's under uh, control of everything. See, it's easy to say, but imagine Habakkuk in that situation. Imagine us in that situation. It's very difficult for us to even fathom, yes, God is actually sovereign over every situation. You know, God is using everything for his glory. And as we live out our life, as we also go through troubled times, it's important for us to know that God does everything for his glory. And the evil that we see present in the world is a result of the fall that happened all the way in the garden. You remember in the first few, uh, um, you know, the portion uh, right from Genesis, when we did this, the series of the whole counsel of God, we, we understood the fall, right? which happened all the way in the garden. And the evil that we see is a result of that fall. But my dear brothers and sisters, this is what the encouragement that I want to put for each and every one of you. God uses everything to accomplish his plans. You know, he has a master plan for his creation. And all the things that we see is actually God working towards that plan and accomplishing them. And it is all for his glory. Like I already said, the whole counsel of God, we are seeing the redemption plan of God right from Genesis all the way to Revelation, right? And God is even now working on that plan. One day he will come and that plan will be accomplished. Till then, we can certainly be assured that God is working. He's not silent. He's working. And he's using every situation in our life, even sometimes evil. He'd, you know, And he, he ensures you know, the, the things that happens in the world eventually falls and everything is for his glory. This brings us to the next question of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, after hearing what God is going to do, now he's raising second question. This time, his second question is based on God's character. If first question was based on his circumstances, now the second question that Habakkuk is raising is based on God's character. Look at what Habakkuk is saying, you know, after he just got the oracle from God himself. Look at verse 12 and 13. Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One, you are eternal. Surely you do not plan to wipe us out. Oh, Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for many of our sins. But you are pure and you cannot sight of evil. You cannot stand sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? I just read from NLT. Look at what prophet Habakkuk is saying. He's saying, how can a God who is holy, who is righteous, use an ungodly 
a wicked nation like Babylon to punish his own people. Initially, he was raising this question, Lord, why are you not doing? You're seeing the sins of people of Judah. You know, why don't you do something? Now God said, hey, I'm, I'm planning. Here is Babylon who's going to come. Now prophet Habakkuk is saying, how can you do this? How can you use such an ungodly empire to punish your own people? How can God violate his own standard of judgment? Since God is holy and Babylon are the worst of the sinners in comparison to the people of Judah. He's asking, how is it fair, God? How is it good? How is it just? If you, if you actually see Habakkuk is wrestling based on God's good character. <laughs> you know, when I was reading, I, I could make out Habakkuk is really struggling to reconcile his theology of God with the word of God that he has just received. He knows something about God, but now the revelation that he has received from God, now he's struggling with his theology. But interestingly, you know, this is what I want to tell you guys. Uh, these are not questions of doubt. The questions that Habakkuk is raising are not questions of doubt. Rather, they are questions coming out of deep faith-seeking understanding of deep things of God. Let me repeat that. These questions are not questions of doubt. Rather, they are questions coming out from deep faith-seeking understanding of deep things of God. How do I say this? Look at how Habakkuk refers to God in these verses. He says, Lord, as my rock. He's calling out God as my rock. He's using this as a metaphor. And he's saying, God is the firm foundation, the support and the stability on which his faith stands. It is the ground for his confidence in the character of God. You know, but when we read book of Habakkuk and what God is planning to do, this is not something new. God has done something very similar in the past when he was dealing with the northern part of the kingdom. People of Israel, what did he do? Just a few centuries ago, God used a, a wicked nation, a wicked empire to judge his own people, to discipline his own people. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5 and 6. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5 and 6. What do we read here? Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. The staff is in their hand is my wrath. I will send them against a godless nation. I will command him to go against the people destined for my rage, to take spoils, to plunder, to trample them down like clay in streets. You know, God has used uh, enemy nation to chastise, to discipline his own people when they have acted unfaithfully towards his covenant. You know, our God is consistent. You know, this is a great affirmation that yes, God cannot stand sin and he will judge sin. And he will hold sinners accountable for their disobedience, for their unfaithfulness towards the covenant. And this is a great reflection of a consistent character of God. And it's praise God for that. This is a beautiful reflection on the consistent character of God who loves the righteous and loathes the wicked. God loves the righteous and loves the wicked. And this is the beauty that we see in the book of Habakkuk. That character of God is consistent. He loves the righteous and he loathes the wicked. This brings us to the second chapter this morning. The watch and the vision. The watch and the vision. What do we see? 
uh, in uh, the watch of the prophet and the vision of uh, uh, vision from God, we see. Let's turn to chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. What do we hear? It is the prophet saying, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he has to say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. After all this back and forth, you know, Habakkuk resolves to wait for an answer from the Lord. It is as if, you know, he sits back with the folded arms waiting for God to answer. You know, he has this confidence, great confidence on his rock, the Lord of his salvation. And, and he's holding on to that, that, that faith. And he's saying, Lord, I will wait. Interestingly, waiting on the Lord requires faith in God and the word of his promises. You know, it doesn't come naturally, but waiting on the Lord requires faith in the Lord and the word of his promise. What is Habakkuk expecting to receive from Lord as a reply? Have you thought about it? What is Habakkuk expecting to receive? What does he think that God is going to say? Because so far, whenever he has raised a question and the answer that he has received, it has been very, uh, you know, not predictable. <laughs> it, it has been more troubling for the prophet Habakkuk. And in this scenario, you know, this is the question that I have. And this is an application, for, application question for all of us as well. What are we to think when God does something beyond our comprehension? What are we to think when God does something beyond our comprehension? You know, I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 uh, and 6. Here is a beautiful instruction and, uh, uh, you know, given by Solomon himself. And he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your understanding. Think about him in all your ways. Look, look carefully what he says. Not in some of your ways. Uh, Solomon says, think about God in all your ways and he will guide you in the right path. What a beautiful uh, uh, you know, explanation, right? And here is the main point that I want to bring out from this. That faith precedes understanding and not the reverse. It's not that understanding should precede the faith. No, it is faith that precedes understanding. We must trust the Lord even when we don't understand any of his uh, ways, that the, the way he deals with us, the way he brings about the circumstances in our life. But we need to trust the Lord because faith precedes understanding. And here we see the Lord is testing Habakkuk's trust in him. And as we go through the passage, we, we find that, you know, Lord does answer Habakkuk. We'll see next few verses. But before that, I just want to, you know, just, just this aspect of waiting on the Lord. I want to bring out three reasons why we should wait on the Lord. Three reasons why we should wait on the Lord. Because Prophet Habakkuk is now waiting for an answer. And he's waiting on his sovereign God, the rock. He's waiting for an answer. And what is for us? Because this is for us as well. Why we should wait on the Lord. Number one, God is sovereign. Look at verse 20. And it says, but the Lord is in his holy temple and all the earth keeps silence before him. You see, though Habakkuk does not understand God's plan and purposes, he stands in reverence and awe of God's presence and power. He may not understand the answers that he's getting, but he's assured of the lordship of God. You're getting it? 
he's assured of the lordship of god no matter what happens the sovereign lord's purposes will be accomplished and he's very sure of that that's why we need to wait on the lord because our god is sovereign second reason why we need to wait on the lord is because god's justice is coming you're getting it god's justice is coming and that is the reason why we need to wait on the lord look at what god tells habakkuk about the judgment that is coming on babylon and that's what we are going to read in some time about the five woes five reasons of judgment that is pronounced on the nation of babylon god says write it down write it down habakkuk and pass it on to the people so that when these people go in exile when babylon comes and takes them as prisoners when they are in babylon they will be speaking out these woes as taunts as laments and they will be crying out but this will give them hope because god's justice is coming there is a day when the broken will be made whole oh what a glorious day that will be when our sorrow will be turned to joy and that's why we need to wait on the lord because god's justice is coming third we need to wait on the lord because the glorious future awaits us because the glorious future awaits us look at verse 14 for the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of god as the water covers the sea beautiful right god promises a glorious future where you know there will be one day when the knowledge of god will fill the earth there will not be a single place where the glory of god will not be shown and on that day all our questions will be answered you know god promises a beautiful picture of joy peace harmony justice all that is going to prevail and this is the reason why need to wait on the lord for a glorious future awaits each and every one of us three reasons our god is sovereign god's justice is coming and finally the glorious future awaits us these are the three reasons that we can find from the book of habakkuk why we need to wait on the lord but here is the central question now we are coming to the central question in the book of habakkuk we all know that you know current world the scene that we see even for habakkuk hey you know there is so much of evil and evil is thriving and the righteous is suffering and they will go through even more difficult times but there is a promise given by god you know what habakkuk there is going to be a time when god is going to come and his judgment is going to come and he is going to save the righteous and he will bring judgment on the wicked but there is a meantime there is a between time and what do we do how do we live this 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 middle time and god gives a beautiful answer to habakkuk turn with me to uh, habakkuk chapter 2 was for the second part it says the righteous shall live by faith the righteous shall live by faith how do we live in the meanwhile god tell habakkuk write it down and pass it on to everyone the righteous shall live by faith what does this mean this is a very a uh, profound statement we all have heard in in so many sermons and even in our meditation we have heard this right what does this mean the context will help us understand god's intent in this passage you know let's let's read the whole verse it says behold his soul is puffed up it is not upright within him but the righteous shall live by faith you know god is saying his soul this is a symbolic repre- representation of the empire of babylon this nation has become proud and puffed up 
you know as a result they were unrighteous and they were facing god's judgment on the contrary god is telling habakkuk you know what the righteous or the just would live by faith by contrast the righteous are humble in god's eyes and they will not face judgment when god comes back with his wrath the righteous will not face judgment they will be saved but in the meanwhile habakkuk just write it down the righteous will live by faith yes they will go through trouble times yes they will be suffering they will cry there will be pain in their life but all this they do and they have to they are called to live by faith a very profound statement by god a timeless truth which is echoed in the new testament as well in fact paul says in uh, roman chapter 1 verse 17 turn with me to roman chapter 1 verse 17 and this is a very famous passage roman chapter 1 verse 17 and paul is emphasizing the idea of righteousness by faith uh, you know which is for both jews and gentiles let's read for in the gospel a righteousness of god is revealed from faith to faith just as it is written the righteous will live by faith then in galatians chapter 3 turn with me to galatians chapter 3 verse 11 again paul says now it is evident that no one is justified before god by the law for the righteous shall live by faith you know here paul is beautifully picturing the gospel and he's saying that we are justified we are made right before god and it is only by faith law has no ability to justify us anymore habakkuk is recording uh, you know habakkuk has recorded the same thing and and he's saying that people are saved by faith and not by works even for the remnant in 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 the land of juda when they go through suffering all they have to is have is faith in yahweh the righteous should live by faith even uh, you know there is another passage in 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 the new testament it's hebrews chapter 10 was 38 this 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 quotation again comes this is a timeless truth and what it is for a born again believers to right now for see what does it mean for us it's a great reminder you know that christians as born again believers we are saved by grace through faith and even the faith that we have it's so you know paul puts it this way even the faith that you have is a gift from god if you remember ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 it says for grace for by grace you have been saved through faith not by yourself it is a gift of god not as a result of works that no one may boast habakkuk wrote uh, you know what he heard from god that righteous shall live by faith in fact he was just echoing this truth which was first modeled in the life of abraham you know abraham was the first one to model this life turn with me to genesis chapter 15 genesis chapter 15 verse 6 it says and and he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness all the way in genesis we see this abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness the righteous shall live by faith abraham modeled it and we are now called to model it in our present time as well a timeless truth a god who is a just god and he is going to return soon as a judge but in the meanwhile righteous will suffer they will go through tough time but they can hold on to god 
for they are called to live by faith. We have been talking about the judgment of God that is due on the nation of Babylon, right? And here are five woes that God puts out to Habakkuk in chapter 2. Woes are nothing but laments for justice that will be coming up against the puffed one, the proud ones, the Babylonians. Yahweh establishes these laments. It is, it is God who is speaking this. It is not the people of Judah. It is God who is speaking this. And he's giving this woes or, the, or, or prayers of lament to the people of Judah so that when they are in, in captivity, they can, they can tell this to the Babylonians. You know, lament actually gave hope to the faithful ones. It, it helps for people to have hope in troubled times. What were the five woes? We'll just, we'll, I, I'll just tell this out so that you know on what basis God is going to judge the people of Babylon. First woe is greed. Un unethical ways of making money. And, and Babylon was guilty of this. And, and the woe says, you know what? Babylon, you are plunderers. And one day you will be plundered by the survivors themselves. Second woe is coveting. Coveting that is not something that belongs to you. And God says in verses 9 to 11, public shame will come to those who have built their security by unjust profits. The third woe, they were barbarians. They were brutal. They used to, they used to abuse their slaves. And who were the slaves? The people of Judah in Babylon. And, and, and God says, Babylon will come one day, will know that they have spent all this life for nothing. All this, all this barbaric activity will, will, will benefit them nothing. One day it will all count against them. The fourth woe, we see that they, they lead people to sin in verse 15 to 17. They, they, they were making other people drunk and they were uh, making other people do, do sin uh, you know, if, you know, while they were there. God says there's going to be judgment, greater judgment on you, Babylon. Finally, the fifth woe we see, you, the, 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 the people of Judah will cry out to Babylon in captivity. It's like, you are idolaters. You carved image out of wood, out of stone. But one day is coming that you will face spiritual isolation. All the efforts that you guys have made to trust are lifeless created things and you are worshipping so-called gods you'll be isolated. You'll have spiritual isolation because God's judgment will come and these idols will not be able to do anything. You know, what a promise that God has given to the people of Judah, the remnant, the faithful ones who will be in captivity. And he says, the puffed up, the proud, the Babylonians cannot rest because sooner or later, God will bring his judgment because our God is a holy God. And if you look carefully, these woes are given to the remnant exactly as an application for living a life of faith in troubled times. It was given as an application for living a life of faith in troubled times for the remnant, for the faithful ones in their captivity. This brings us to chapter 3 now. So Habakkuk has now received all the revelation from God. And now he doesn't have any more question. The dialogue between the prophet and Yahweh is over. Habakkuk has accepted God's response. And the only thing that he can do, you know, for his first question, God responded that, yes, there's going to be judgment. And for his second question, he says, the righteous shall live by faith. The wicked will reap what they sow. 
And now, after hearing all this, Habakkuk says, God, I have nothing more to say. And in, in, in chapter 3, it, it says, this prayer was sung by prophet Habakkuk. Actually, chapter 3 is a beautiful song of praise. It's an amazing song of praise by prophet to Yahweh and his revelation to him. This morning, we, we will not be able to cover the full, full uh, prayer of Habakkuk, the song of praise by Habakkuk. But I just want to focus on the last three verses, the last three verses, which is pretty much the summary. And this morning, uh, Philip helped us uh, read this. And it says, turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 3. And if you have a pen or a pencil, just underline this verse. This is so beautiful. It says, I'm reading from NLT. Even though fig tree have no, no blossoms, even there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. Yet he says that I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me sure-footed as a deer and makes me able to tread on heights. It's a beautiful song of Habakkuk. We go through so many tough times, right? All of us might be going through tough times. I'm just thinking this present scenario over the last one and a half, two years of this pandemic. Some of us have really faced dark times. Our loved ones might have passed away. Some of our savings might have been wiped out. Some of you might have lost your jobs. Some of us, I know that have even have to shut down the businesses. Some of you might have fallen sick or developed new, uh, you know, new things, you know, while doing the test. Some of you might be battling depression. Some of you might just be overwhelmed with things around you because of lockdown. You, you're just overwhelmed with the things around you. And some of you might just living in fear. Look at Habakkuk, what he's saying. And, and, and it just brings me praise because he says, Kartave, if nothing you works for me, if, if, if everything is taken away from me, if there, is, if there is no fig in the trees, if there is no, you know, uh, the, the flocks are empty in the fields, if there is nothing working out, and he's talking of his time, right? It is, it is the agriculture and it is the, the flock and the cattle. That was a big thing. And he's talking in his, in his time and he's saying, Kartave, if there is nothing, nothing works for me. He says, I will rejoice in the Lord. He says, I will rejoice in the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters in CBF, this biblical joy that we hear, you know, it's amazing. Look at Habakkuk. Look at Habakkuk who was burdened by the sins of the people and, and burdened by the silence of God. And he was overwhelmed with his circumstances. And he also wrestled with God based on his character. Now, after, after God reveals truth to Habakkuk, now he says, Lord, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my salvation. Look at verse 19. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He doesn't say God. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. What an assurance that he has. How can you and I rejoice when nothing seems right? When we are crippled by fear and anxiety and worry, my dear brothers and sisters in CBF, how can we rejoice when nothing seems right? What is this biblical joy all about? 
I just want to bring out three points this morning. That biblical joy is not rejoicing for your suffering, but it is rejoicing in your suffering. For us, we understand as born again believers who have the revelation from God, we understand that suffering is a result of fall. It is enemy's work, yet God allows it for a reason. So we don't rejoice over our suffering, but we rejoice in our suffering. Second, biblical joy is not something that happens after the suffering ends. Yes, we do rejoice when the suffering ends because we, we are relieved. But God calls us, the Bible tells us that you need to rejoice parallelly and it has to coexist with your suffering. The joy has to coexist with your suffering. We don't somehow make it during our suffering and then joy awaits us at the end. No, no. We experience this incredible joy in midst of our suffering. And this is a counter-cultural understanding. The life of faith in Jesus Christ involves weeping and joy, sadness and happiness, mourning and laughing. That's, that's our life in faith in Christ. It's not just joy, happiness and laughing. No, God tells us very scripture. Yes, there will be seasons of weeping, but there will be seasons of joy. There will be seasons of sadness. There will be seasons of happiness. There will be seasons of mourning. And there will be seasons of laughing. And joy is parallel and coexisting with our suffering. And lastly, biblical joy is enhanced by sorrow and grief. And when, when I was making the sermon, and it, it just struck me that this is a paradox. This is completely illogical. How can joy be enhanced by sorrow and suffering? But again, the word of God reminds us that there is greater grace when we suffer. There is a great glory that awaits us through our suffering. We experience God so close when we go through tough times, only when we turn to him. You're getting it? We don't experience this joy just by sitting. No, we experience this joy in our suffering when we turn to God and wait on him. Oh, his love is so much sweeter when we experience that in our suffering, when we always cling on to our God because he is our only hope. We rejoice in our suffering and biblical joy is enhanced by our sorrow and grief. I'm just reminded of two passages and Paul puts it beautifully, uh, you know, when he, when he pens it down in Philippians chapter four, verse four, if you, if you turn, it's a very familiar passage. It's a, it's a, it's a verse that we give to the children for memory verse. It says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Look at what God, you know, Paul is saying, you know, he's in difficult circumstances and he's going through persecution and he says rejoice in the Lord always. And not just one time. And again, I'll say rejoice. It's a, it's a, it's a parallel. It's a, it's a cyclic thing he's saying. He's saying rejoice and keep rejoicing in the Lord always. It's not a one-time thing. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Paul again puts it. Three things he mentioned. He says, Romans 12, verse 12. He says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And be consistent in prayer. Rejoice. Be patient and be consistent. You know, we play a lot of sport, right? CBF, you know, boys love to play sports, right? And yeah, we know that if in order to get better, you need to keep practicing. And that's how it works. Practicing joy also requires, practicing biblical joy also requires an intentional, purposeful, habitual effort. Like Paul reminded, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, you say rejoice. Biblical joy does not happen automatically. 
Rather, it is experienced as we pursue it with all our heart. For Habakkuk, he was able to do that. And he was able to say, I rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my salvation. So we are now just, I'll just take now last five minutes and I, I'll just come to some application question. Habakkuk asked a lot of questions to God, right? So is it wrong to ask questions to God? What do you think? Dear CP, what do you think? Is it wrong to ask questions to God? Let me, let me put some points for you. You know, there is a religious paradigm. There's a religious view uh, in the world that is uh, you know, persisting that tells us not to ask questions, not to entertain doubts. Hey, you need to put on a brave face. External behavior is very important than being honest. You know, when we, when we look into this kind of view, we feel that there is an idea of appeasing God by a good behavior. Then there is a secular paradigm. On the other hand, encourages us, hey, you need to ask questions, ask as many questions as possible. But if you don't like the answer, you're free to reject God. You're free to reject the answer. Hey, I don't agree with you. You know, I don't like your answers. You know, that's the secular paradigm or the secular view. But when we read this word of God and we are doing the series and, I'm, I'm, I, and I praise God for this series that we are doing, the whole counsel of God, because we come to know about the God in the scripture and the God in the scripture invites us to wrestle with him faithfully. We see this, the same you know, kind of questioning we see in the book of Job, Jeremiah, we read in so many Psalms and other passages. Interestingly, God has placed these texts in the Bible precisely for us to understand that he knows exactly what we feel and he's aware of our struggles. Dear CBF, I want to encourage you this morning for, you know, by three things, come to God with your question. God invites us to come to him and not move away from him because of our question. God knows our heart. You know, we cannot hide anything from him. God knows our heart. We don't have to pretend. God calls us to be honest. Come to him with your question. Second, come to God based on his good character. Come to God based on his good character. We can question God or when we don't understand his ways or his methods uh, because you know our, our minds are not like God. We cannot understand the entirety of what things that he does. But no one can question God's character. You know, like we read in, 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 in the book of Habakkuk, God's character is consistent. God is holy. God is righteous. God is without blame. God is absolutely good. So when we come to God, we need to come to God based on God's good character. Don't question him on his character because he's consistent. Third, come to God. And this is interesting. Come to God with your question, knowing that at times you will not like his answers as well. Or you will, you will not be able to understand completely what he's trying to tell you. For we read, his ways are higher than our ways. So how does the book of Habakkuk fall into this, the whole counsel of God? How does the book of Habakkuk uh, fits into this whole counsel of God that we are seeing, the series that we are doing? And this is the gospel call that I want to bring out. Gospel is so beautiful in the book of Habakkuk. We see the themes of justice, mercy, wisdom, restoration in the book of Habakkuk. God may seem silent and inactive in midst of Habakkuk's doubt and distress, but this book's fit within the context of Bible's largest story. What is the largest story? 
that God himself in fullness of time through the person and the work of Jesus Christ would become flesh, would come in flesh and bring justice and mercy for all. Luke chapter 24 verse 27 says, in fullness of time, in fullness of time, God came. In fullness of time. We, 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 we see this, Paul saying beautifully in Galatians 4, verse 4 to 7. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might be received as adoption as sons. We might receive the adoption as sons. At the cross, Jesus received the justice for our sins of idolatry and immorality. He died for our sins and there is no doubt about it. Moreover, at the cross, Jesus secured the mercy of forgiveness to all who trust in his substitutionary work. Therefore, it is at the cross of Calvary the justice and mercy met. The kind of faith that is mentioned in the book of Habakkuk comes because of this personal relationship with God he had. You know, Habakkuk had this personal beautiful relationship with his God, Yahweh. You know, he could call out to God as my rock. Dear CBF, do we have this personal relationship with our God, our Lord Jesus Christ? It takes an experience of grace of God and the complete understanding of the gospel to move towards God in the midst of our suffering. And it is that time we know that he's our loving father. You know, my prayer for all of you is this, this morning. As we go through this series, we'll, we'll be listening to sermons after sermons. But my prayer is, as we go through our trials, as we go through our suffering, as we go through our difficult times, things that we just don't understand why it is existing in our life. My prayer for you this morning is this, that we like Habakkuk can say exactly what he said. And I just want to repeat those verses once again. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, and then we'll pray. And this is a prayer for you and for me that God will give us this kind of faith because of our personal relationship with him and because of our understanding of the gospel. We all can shout out to the Lord and say the same words what Habakkuk said, verse 17, chapter 3. Even though fig trees have no blossom, even though there are no grapes on the wine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the battle barns are empty, yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the Lord, my God, my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me sure-footed as a deer. He helps me to tread upon the heights. May his name be glorified. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you for this time that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to spend time from the book of Habakkuk and beautifully, you know, bringing out the gospel this, this morning, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for helping us understand that you are a sovereign God who uses every situation for your own glory, Lord Father. You are in, in complete control. But Lord, we also realize there are times, Lord, when we don't understand your ways. But what a beautiful reminder that we got from the scripture this morning that your ways are always higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And Lord, allow us to remember when we go through these times of suffering, times of trial, times of not understanding the situations in our life. 
Lord, allow us to come to you and put our questions and wrestle with you faithfully, Lord Father. Allow us to ask questions based on your good character, Lord Father. And allow us to come to you with knowing fully that sometimes we may not like what you have put in front of us. But Lord, as your scripture reminds us that you call us to live by faith. Even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of suffering, even when the evil thrives, Lord, you have called us. And you have said so beautifully, the righteous shall live by faith. Lord, this is the prayer for CBF. This is a prayer for me, Lord Father, that you will give us this faith, Lord Father. And we will hold on to you no matter what our circumstances are. And we'll be able to cry out like Habakkuk and give you praise and say, I rejoice. I rejoice in God of my salvation. I rejoice in sovereign Lord who is my strength. Like Paul said, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Lord, at all circumstances, allow us to say this. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us this morning. We want to give you all glory and honor. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.